0: Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez.
1: Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 214 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez, and today we'll be discussing formal complaints lodged against MMA judge Doug Crosby, Dana White changing his tune on fight fixing, and Sean Strickland telling it like it is. We'll also be previewing select fights from UFC Vegas 66, but first... I got to know, have you seen Donald Trump's NFTs yet? Holy shit.
2: What a marketing genius. What a businessman. (laughs) Launching NFTs, such a novel concept, in December of 2022 to fleece his last remaining. If he'd done this a year ago, around this time, i am like, all right, you know what? Why not? Everybody's doing it, sure. But now really now like this is like this is like selling he might as well be selling iraqi dinar you know what i mean he might this is like several uh grift cycles ago at this point and i I don't know what exactly he thinks is but he does i'll grant him that he is much like a lot of people in these spaces uh somebody that has enough pull and enough sway to make some scratch out of it so sure why not i mean we still have the crypto.com partnership with the ufc um I don't know how long that's going to last, but uh, if that is still holding on and these things are still somewhat um, sustainable, then I'm sure that there is something there. There is a market for that and rubes are uh, abundant. So good.
1: Does it shock you a little bit that no one from our Mainstream media, our mainstream MMA media, and by mainstream, I mean the bigger sites, the more prominent journalists, have not asked Dana a single question about crypto?
2: Well, no, because that'll be the last time they get to ask any <laughs> question. I mean, that's the same like anything else yeah. with, with, with certain, you know there's certain buttons you don't touch, and that's that's one of them.
1: I will definitely say this. I spoke with a prominent journalist recently within the last month that basically told me that Dana will completely shut down, will not answer you, and will basically shun you for weeks, months, and maybe permanently if you continue along a question track that he does not like. And Mm -hmm. I am just stunned by that. I mean, to actually have one of the more prominent ones tell me that, physically say it, actually they wrote it in a message to me, but still, I mean, they actually admitted to it. It's something we've all known for a long time, but to actually have someone voice it to me, even though it was in private, it, it sort of lends a little bit more credence to things that we, we speculated about. A lot with our, you know, the Speculatron, Victor's famous Speculatron. So I just figured I, that would be our rollout uh, commentary for today. But we are going to jump right into some news. As I mentioned earlier, MMA Judge Douglas Crosby is under investigation right now. And let me tell you the whole story, okay? I'm going to read our Bloody Elbow story word for word that's the easiest way to relay the information. So here goes. Excuse me. A controversial judge who scored the UFC 282 co-main event in favor of Patty Pimlet is under review by the Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department per MMA fighting. The judge in question is Doug Crosby. He came under fire for his 50-45 50 45 scorecard in last weekend's Bellator 289 main event featuring Danny Sabatello versus Ruffian Stotts scoring the bout in favor excuse me in favor of Sabatello who actually lost the fight Crosby was the only judge on the panel to score the bout for Sabatello, with fellow judges Eric Colon and Brian Miner scoring the fight 48-47 in favor of Stotts, who won via split decision. Mohegan Athletic Department Director of Athletics Mike Mazzulli said Crosby is now under review by the commission and that this isn't an issue they are taking lightly, stating one judge had Sabatello winning all five rounds, which is controversial, but ultimately Stotts won the decision, which is the correct result. In an effort to make this a learning moment, I have informed all three judges we will be reviewing the fight together. This is a very serious situation, he added. The Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department always looks out for the best interests of all fighters. In the past, the Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department has sanctioned officials that are not performing to the level that is required. Such sanctions, when they occur, are not made public. I wish they would make it public, though. I really do. And further, there was another complaint lodged against him, but this one was a little bit different, okay? And I'm going to read again, so bear with me. During the opening moments of Wednesday's Nevada State Athletic Commission meeting, a formal complaint was lodged against MMA Judge Douglas Crosby. Now, every INSAC meeting has time allotted for public comments. Concerned parties can deliver those comments in person or via a call-in number for the meeting. The only public comment made during December's meeting related to Crosby, who served as a judge at UFC 282, which took place at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Now, in addition to being cage-side for several UFC 282 fights, Crosby served as the judge for the aforementioned Bellator 289 main event between Ruffy and Stotts and Danny Sabatello. Or, I'm sorry, that might not have been the main event.
2: I can't remember. It was it a was main event. It
1: was, okay. Anyways, the caller offered the following comment, and it was beautiful. Let me read this. I'm calling in, not pertaining to any NSAC agenda item, but rather to lodge a formal complaint about the judging on UFC 282 that was hosted last weekend in Vegas. I want to know, if possible, why Douglas Crosby, in particular, was allowed to judge an event Friday night in the Northeast and then fly across the country Saturday morning, all the way to Vegas, to then judge fights Saturday night, and he was deemed mentally fit to do so. It seems a bit ridiculous in my mind. I think it's very telling that for the entire tenure, as far as I can tell, of Bob Bennett, when he reigned as NSAC executive director from 2014 to 2021, Crosby was not allowed to judge a UFC event. As far as I can tell, scanning MMA decisions and when current NSAC executive director Jeff Mullen took his place, Crosby was suddenly back judging those events. It seems a bit ridiculous. Crosby demonstrated criminal incompetence, in my opinion, judging that event over the weekend. And I don't understand why it was allowed to happen again. End quote. We have an official complaint from from Mohegan tribe. And we have basically a citizen's complaint, a citizen's arrest, if you will, of of him as well. And a very well-stated one. Clearly, they got that from watching Ariel Helwani's show this week because he also referenced that. But uh, Bloody Elbow did reach out to the NSAC for comment, but they did not receive a reply back before the publication so victor i just got to get your take on this because for me it's a step in the right direction because crosby has been a problem for more than a decade
2: but is that not where the problem largely lies Mm -hmm. it's been more than a decade this guy he's been known for that sort of thing we should not know who these people are we should not ideally have these people with a reputation that it's like you know every time you hear that Douglas Crosby is refer- is not refereeing, is judging a fight you hear you don't see it you hear the eye rolling you know you 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 have an idea that it's like oh it's going to be a problem much like we do with some of the referees you know like Dan Miraglad is in there there's like well she's going to trip on somebody's hand or you know somebody's going to go to valhalla you you have a, a similar situation you're not not quite as egregious because it doesn't instantly affect the fighter's health and safety as a referee's situation would be, but it does affect the livelihood because in most of these situations, right, particularly in the UFC, you have the uh, show and and win bonus structure. A lot of these fighters rely on that. You've got a judge that pretty much marches to the beat of his own drum for better or for worse, mostly for worse. Uh, He has turned in some baffling scorecards for so long Yet this is what it took. This is the part where now, and it's a shame, too, because you're looking at a situation in which Sabatello versus Stott, a fight that really more uh, than anything is being talked about because of the judging fiasco and not because of the ramifications, not because of the, the heat between the two fighters and the drama and, the, and all the shit talk. I mean, and it was actually a fairly, you know, maybe not, not a barn burner of a fight, but it was, it was kind of fun. It, it had some moments. It was a pretty good one. But no one's talking about that because it's being overshadowed by this guy and his situation. And it is worth asking how this guy gets to – you tell me that he's judging a fight in Connecticut and then he's got to drive down to, like, Virginia or, you know, D.C., you know, maybe further north to Maine. Okay, I get it. It's still on the East Coast. But he's flying across the country to now be on the Pacific time time zone to do this. It just – and then he turns in these scorecards. And I just – it's not uh I, it's one of those situations that feels to me like a day late dollar short. You've built up so much of a bad reputation that it's like, okay, now they're kind of forced to save face and do something, and I will give the Mohegan Commission some credit for uh being somewhat consistent when it comes to having some discipline, trying to show some form of respect to the fighters and to the sport. And then, having some degree of transparency, although it's not full transparency because they're not going to disclose the um, the 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 sanction uh, uh, parameters, fine. I mean, I guess we'll take what we can get. We have no choice. but Jesus, I, I'm not really as thrilled about this as some other people are. I understand why there is so much um anticipation to see what goes on next, but I, God, it, it shouldn't have come to this in the first place, you know? And it's not a matter of making the perfect the enemy of the good, but it, it really, really is way, way overdue.
1: It is. And Ariel posited something that really, really has made me think. He said, and this was his personal opinion, I need to reiterate that this is not anything he has evidence of. He He stated that multiple times, this is just my opinion. So he said that he felt that Douglas Crosby was turning in the decisions that he felt that the promoter wanted. It's not that the promoter is going to him and saying, hey, I need you to cook the books. It's he's taking it upon himself to go in the direction that he feels the promoter wants the direction to go. That is Ariel's take on this. And I kind of think that maybe there might be a little bit of that that going on. Douglas Crosby has wanted to be in Dana's front pocket, back pocket, side pocket, cargo pocket, whatever. He's wanted to be close to Dana for a very, very long time. And I just think that Ariel's onto something there.
2: Well, I don't know that that's, I mean, that's number one, that's a little hard to prove. Number two is.
1: Sure, but that, it's an I opinion. Don't know. I, it's it's an opinion. And I
2: think, I mean, it is a bit of a stretch for him to speculate that that's what is. it is. Uh, maybe he's privy to more information be. than, I don't know. I just, I, I'm just thinking still about what you said at the beginning. You know, you, you've made the cute little quip about a citizen's arrest, which. Mm-hmm funny because i could just see him being handcuffed and perp walked by Krokop. cop <laughs> just like for no other reason just walking him around the the athletic commission building like you don't have to do this like no no i do this for camera please and like yeah it's Krokop, cop he got got You kind of got to let the man cook you know <laughs> who are you gonna say no to him jesus christ
1: the other thing too is that and i can't remember who put this out but they basically said make this a paying job stop having it be a volunteer job or basically a volunteer job because if they're getting paid like the referees the referee assignments are 300 bucks a night so basically you get to make 600 bucks a week if you're refereeing two events
2: you know, yeah, that's I don't, terrible.
1: I, that's not a, a sustainable living. Most of these people have to have side jobs. Douglas Crosby has a side job. He's a stunt coordinator in Hollywood.
2: Well, that says a lot about how you know, neither one of these jobs is, is particularly paying uh, that, that well, if that's right? the case. And, and furthermore, this raises the question, which it just always reminds me of Mark Hunt, mm-hmm. right? OK, you're going to have this person pay a fine to the commission. Where is that money going? Mm-hmm. Where is that money going? If you're only paying the referees three hundred a night, you understand? I don't. I I just it it's baffling to me. Like you're really gonna go out there, get on a plane and go across the country to fetch another three hundred dollars? That doesn't seem right to me. That that's that's a very ah man. That's a sore spot right there, bro. I don't know what the hell we're doing right now. That's that. It just you, that that is a sort of situation. That makes for it makes for this particular sport to be rife with all sorts of corruption and and really uh, unnecessary shit. But you know that's kind of what is going to dovetail us into our next subject because we were addressing, as uh, recently we've been talking about this and for the past few weeks, the James Krause situation, right Now it seems a little unfair to name it that, but I mean, he is the most visible figure. He seems to have been the catalyst that has let this thing. Um, be a wider topic of conversation, and we've elaborated on that planning previously. And now, now recently, Dana White was asked about whether or not fight fixing is a concern for the UFC. And previously, his answer to that was, "I'm not worried about it at all." <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like he didn't give he didn't give two shits about COVID, he didn't care about fight fixing. Well, okay, sure, great, awesome. Now he was having an interview with a uh, resident uh, ESPN reporter. Uh, Brett Okamoto where he was uh, he was asked yet again hey what do you think about it is it a problem his words huge concern oh okay so now he cares you know we've always told fighters as all the gambling stuff started to heat up stay away from gambling obviously don't I mean do you know how stupid you have to be to get involved in something like that everybody it gets caught you always get caught and all they have to do is follow the money follow the money you know But there are a lot of people in prison for really dumb stuff, people that are just stupid and things are going to happen. And if this is all true and this investigation ends up that this really happened and people are going to prison, people aren't going to go to jail, people are going to go to prison. And hopefully everybody else is watching and taking notes. That is to this date the most Donald Trump type speech I have ever heard come out of that man's mouth. I mean, you really, you could have swapped out the voice If oh, this is true and the investigation, is, like you, you, you could envision him saying that. You might think that that's neither here nor there, but I had actually ascribed something to it. This seems to me like he's really feeling something of uh, a degree of pressure and talking in circle mm-hmm. to, the, to the level in which he knows that this is a problem. He understands that people are going to be looking to him and he doesn't want to have that situation get even worse. But he knows it's going to get worse. So now what does he do? He says, well, they're dumb if they do it. Well, gee, I don't know, buddy. A lot of people are really dumb. A lot of people will resort to a lot of things in, in the name of desperation and trying to get an extra buck because fighters aren't getting paid enough. They're already looking for avenues to get paid in bigger ways. Sponsorships have dried up under the purview of a certain particular organization. And then guess what? They're going to find other ways to make that happen. You address this, what was it, last week or two weeks ago, that Korean fighter who was doing sex work on the side to make ends meet so he can supplement his training? And that's that's what guys do. That's what people will do at any given time. They will reach for the money and any opportunity, and if gambling is there, they will do it. With the expansion of online gambling, with it being much more accessible to people that are out there, they're going to take that opportunity. And Krause was simply the most vocal of them. He not only discussed gambling on fights, which, by the way, ethically, I don't really see much of a problem with in a vacuum. But he described how he circumvented the limitations of having accounts. He had his betting podcast. He gave advice. He made the claim that he was making more money off of gambling than he was off of fighting and anything else. What do you think is going to happen? People are going to follow that. People are going to look at that and make it a thing. And then the Minner situation took place what do you make of this change of tune? Is this actually a sign of something good or is this merely a reaction that is just a matter of him trying to garner some form of goodwill in the public relations sphere?
1: Well, it was announced, I believe yesterday, that Minner and Krause's suspensions have been extended pending the results of all these investigations because, again, there are multiple investigations going on. To me, this does not signify any type of change. It speaks for itself, just in the headline. Dana changes his tune. Now, all of a sudden, it's a very serious situation when just on December 11th, it was no big deal and nobody would do this and we're going to come out clean. Now, it's a big deal. It's serious. and, And if we're to go by what he said at the presser, Last weekend, that James is, you know, if convicted, if they find out, if they, the, the investigation finds the dirty deeds on him, that he's looking at federal time in prison. So I like the way the, the about base has happened. But this is an about face that's not because his eyes have been opened. and he plans to make significant change. This is a got your hand caught in the cookie jar and got smacked away and has to behave because everyone is watching. That's what it boils down to. But I love when Dana makes these statements, these really profound foot in the ground, draws the line in the sand jeremy stevens will be fighting tonight <laughs>
2: well have you i i don't i don't really like i understand your point i just i have a little bit of a problem with the cynicism that you you're you're kind of taking us to a degree that given your surroundings, right you you look at how on december 11th he was saying one thing and now this week he's saying another would you not think that maybe just maybe this might be a christmas miracle does that not warm your heart in some fashion i don't know certainly warms
1: mine it definitely warms mine you damn right (laughs) all right so we're gonna move on to our next story and you know you you just spoke of christmas miracles This one wouldn't be a Christmas miracle because, unfortunately, it will happen after Christmas. But I will look at it as a belated Christmas miracle if Glover Teixeira gets the win over Jamal Hill. Now, I don't say that because I dislike Jamal Hill because I'm a big Jamal Hill fan. It's just that I love them both. And Glover, Glover's a special animal. He really is. He is like the mascot for all the good side of MMA. I mean, I haven't, I've been knowing about Glover for 15 years and ever since I've known of Glover, no one, not a soul has had a bad thing to say about the guy. He's just wholesome. So if he were to get this win in, in, uh, in Brazil, oh, you don't know how, how much, my That would elevate my heart to the heavens. I love that idea. So the story here is that he once flirted with retirement as the champion. When he had the belt, he was flirting with retirement. And he said that on this week's episode of uh, MMA Fighting Podcast. Uh, I hope I'm saying this right. Trocacao Franca? That's close awesome. enough. Okay. Anyways, he said that there is absolutely no chance, zero, that he walks away from the sport if he's crowned champion again at UFC 283. And you know what? I don't mind at all. Let me let me read you his quote. It's de- it definitely won't be any retirement now. Someone asked me back then, do you think one more fight and then defend your belt at Madison Square Garden and then retire? I said, who knows if this weekend, especially what happened to me, hasn't taught me anything. I never make plans for the future. I live in the present. I don't have such plans of, I'll retire at this date or that date. The day I retire will be the day I'm training poorly, when I don't want to go to the gym anymore. I had moments like that back in the day. I was dealing with injuries. I was down." When I lost to Corey Anderson, I thought, fuck it, I'll fight one more time. And if I lose, I'll retire. But then I was happy again, new gym, changing a few things and being happy as fuck. I love to be training and fighting. You saw my last fight, the one with Yuri. We see the level I'm fighting at. It's intense. My fight is intense. And that's why people can't keep up with it. And scene. Holy crap, I love this. He has a bunch of other stuff to say, but that stuff up there in a nutshell is basically what I'm running with here, because he's right. If he can beat the surging Jamal Hill after the insane fight he had with Yuri this past summer, holy shit, I mean, the man is aging backwards. It doesn't matter how much gray is in his beard, how little hair is left on his head, how many wrinkles he has. He's still fighting like a goddamn animal. And I love it. And I want him to win. Victor.
2: I'm, I'm happy with the fact that he's more, he's looking at this or that he's, he's talking about this as a, you know, I'm taking it day by day. Mm-hmm. If I win great, if I don't great, I'm not thinking about this. Cause you know what we've discussed this too. And I know that you've actually had uh, more to say about this than I have. But when a fighter starts talking about retirement, things start to get real slippery.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: things start to get pretty dicey. When they started talking like they got one foot out the door already, it's like, you know, Alexander Gustafsson has been—he's uh, had some other problems too. But that's that's been a, that's been something that people have been wondering. Like maybe that's been uh, part of the. Um, part of what's been leading to that slide and and in terms of how his, when you start questioning the dedication, you start wondering where their head is, you know, are they distracted? Are they really fully into it? But if he feels more alive than ever in the gym and look, I can't blame him for that. If that's where he's at, then great for him because look, once you find that Zen, once you're able to hit that stride and make things work for you, when everything's firing on all cylinders, he's living the dream, man. Look, he lives He's got his gym close to his home. It's his business. He's got a great stable of friends. He's got some good fighters. He's got some great trainers with him. Now he's got a fellow champion in his, uh, his, his his buddy, Alex Pereira. Like, all these things keep you strong. All these things keep you grounded and young. I, I, you, you, you have that sort of situation like he does? You got it made, man. Why would you want to think about when it's over When you have that, I mean, as long as you don't go overboard, obviously you're thinking about putting some money away and all that, but he's already seeded his future, you know? So if he's already planting those seeds, if he's already got certain things ready for when he does eventually leave and he's not playing dumb, hey, you know what? That's the greatest thing that can happen. And I'm happy for him and and we all should be. So uh, good for him for taking this particular approach. If anything, this makes me worry a little bit for Jamal Hill, man. He, I, I know he always brings it, but he better really mind his P's and Q's because this cat, we saw how he used that veteran savvy to outwork Anthony Smith and, and beat back some of the other younger whippersnappers that were coming up. They were throwing at him. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got the edge, and he's got he's fighting like a dude that's got nothing to lose, so uh, he'll better be ready, you know, because this is this is a different – when you see this kind of mindset, it's like, yeah, this is the kind of guy – that comes in and wreck shop when you saw like the way that holly Holm came in against ronda or like fabrice over went in against fedor and, hey man i'm just having a good time like they know something you don't and they end up upsetting the apple cart that's the kind of shit that happens and that's really uh that's what creates some insane moments here so i'm I'm curious to see how this works out for him
1: you know before i uh turn it back over to you for the next story i i just want to make note of one more thing that he said he said Yuri won that fight in the last 28 seconds of the fight, but before that, Mm -hmm. he was not winning. And that is so true. So if he's gone back to the drawing board to work out fixing that last 28 seconds, which was basically, I think he mistimed it and thought there was more, more on the clock, whatever. But the point is, is that if he's gone back to work on that, the way he's gone back and worked on every freaking thing else, boy, oh boy.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Well, we are going to move to something that is not quite as inspiring and uh, definitely, well, I mean, it was kind of funny to me. I don't know. It had to do with Sean Strickland. Now, usually, I do kind of think that Strickland tries a little too hard to be dramatic and say things and, you know, kind of rile people up. And I don't think he's doing it necessarily for attention, rather for his own amusement. And maybe that's just the way he is. And he was uh, a bit of an attraction at Media Day. as He was talking, uh, reference to, well, he was asked about how fighter treatment was going. And he said, he was, of course, having a bit of a conversation with the media group assembled. Poor stars, what's the difference? Huh. Okay, uh, that's a bit of an unusual one. But he decided to state that, make the, draw the parallels between adult film performers and professional fighters quote, we fucking diet, we get really fucking skinny, a couple of us get abs, we wear these tight little outfits, little fucking spandex, with a little cock bulge in our cup, and we go out there and we take our fucking clothes off and fight in front of thousands of people. And the then these people are like, yeah, fucking punch him in the face, take him down, fucking dry hump him, twist his dick. Okay, um, there's a lot to parse here. Number one, yeah, not everybody diets or gets really skinny. You can either ask Augusto Sakai or any of the featured models at plumperpass.com. Ask Eddie Mercado about that. Not everybody gets abs because again, ask Augusto Sakai. (laughs) It's just like, not everybody really gets into that kind of shape, but I get what he means. There are certain expectations in terms of conditioning and physique that come along with this sort of thing. They don't always apply. Uh, There is a bit of an exploitative element because of the outfits that people have to wear. The only difference is that when you are performing sex acts in front of a camera, you know, you're you're not obligated to wear a particular outfit because of a sponsor limitation or anything like that. You don't wear a cup in a porn scene, at least not anything that I've seen, although actually wait now that I think about it, I have. And I'd rather not remember that uh, jumping into the cage and having the audience ask you to twist somebody else's penis. No, I don't think I've ever heard that one. Not exactly the kind of arena that I'd like to attend to fight in. Maybe those people were expecting some other form of entertainment, but that sure as hell is not MMA. <laughs> he went on talking about this thing. I didn't know that in the business of, hey, I'm gonna take a human being and make and fight for money, if I'm giving a fuck about them as part of the job title. Like I'm a CEO of the UFC, y'all be like, hey, what big scary motherfuckers can we pick to fight each other? And afterward I'm like, But you know, man, I hope they're having a good Christmas. I hope life is good for them. No, they're <laughs> fucking cattle. I love my job and I'm not going around looking in a fucking mirror and thinking I'm some fucking I'm LeBron James. I'm not. I'm a fucking prostitute. I take my fucking clothes off. Dana says, go fight that guy. I'm like, all right, Dana, how much? And he gives me a number. I'm like, fuck it. Let's go, Dana. I'll fight that motherfucker. I'm not disillusioned with what I am. Then he started talking about Cannoneer, which I, oh boy, this got uncomfortable. Killer Gorilla, you know, fucking scary name. How nice it would be if his nickname was Curious George. Oh, fuck yeah, that would be nice. You got the killer gorilla? Let's fucking go. He sounds like a scary motherfucker, dude. Sounds like I don't want to share a cell with that guy. Okay, Uh he's right about not being the LeBron James of MMA or even the Michael Jordan because, as we all remember, that's yeah. Travis Luder. Uh There's no shame in being a sex worker or taking your clothes off for money, but, I mean, I don't know that that's really how he thinks this is going to function. He, he's focusing on the nudity. I'm not quite sure what his fixation on the the, the various levels of disrobing that are required for unarmed combat and then he says that he asked dana what kind of money he's going to get paid i'm sorry is your contract not sorted out already who is this man's agent who is doing this man's business deals how does this function at least he knows that he should be concerned about the violence that jared cannonier should bring of course we know jared cannonier collector of stones and uh, uh the man of the desert uh the mysticism at this point uh, collecting gems like thanos and uh, doing about as much damage as Thanos as well. Uh, At least his head is screwed on right for with that. I'm not a really big fan of Strickland's antics, to be honest. If that hasn't translated, if that hasn't come through to you by now, I guess I should spell it out for you in more frank and direct terms. But he kind of almost got to the point, just like when you almost get it, <laughs> when you're almost so close, to realizing how badly exploited you are. And yet, and yet, there's no call for action. There's no claims to uh, have anything change. There's no, nothing, nothing on that front whatsoever. Simply a matter of how this personally affects him because he's embarrassed that he's got to show his belly button to millions while he beats the living crap out of people. Eh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, not like I was expecting this guy to read uh, Karl Marx or anything, but... He kind of came close again, man. I mean, look, what did you make of this whole weird and dizzy diatribe that he went on?
1: This weird obsession with the cock bulge, you know, just saying the wildest shit to shock and awe whoever happens to be standing in front of him. And then probably he sits back and cackles like a 12 year old. I am frequently in that same boat. Of trying to shock people with something. But for me, it's it's fart humor. I, I'm, I'm big on fart humor. I love that. But uh, anyways, he clearly has this fixation with sex and nudity and violence. Somehow they're all inexplicably intertwined. But I also think that Sean Strickland is very performative. He is an attention whore. But he was never like this back in the day. He was not this outgoing and, and just brutally honest or whatever you want to call this. I think a lot of it is performative simply so that he could keep his name up in lights so that he's getting better fights, better contracts, etc. He is trying to do what Dana has told them all to do and drum up interest around every time you see his name. Now he did almost get it right. If he had worded it better, he would have had it right. Because the, there isn't a better comparison really. Can you think of one?
2: I mean, not quite. He is pretty much in his own lane. I, I mean there's there's we've had a lot of uh a lot of people that are, you know, attention seekers and stuff that have said pretty inflammatory things. But this guy's, you know, he he's very much a true believer in in some of the stuff, but yeah, I don't know.
1: I just feel like his comparison to to sex workers is kind of on point, wouldn't you say
2: I mean in terms of the exploitation element yes. but i mean you, you're ignoring a lot of other things too, but and, and i get it. Are... like in a rudimentary like at base level like i I get it I mean, but there's also no shame in that, which is the kind of part right. the thing that I don't you know like i to me personally like i like many other people like sex work is work, so like it doesn't I don't have any sort of ick factor. With that, there are people that, that, you know, they they engage in in these activities. They make very good money and they have no hangups about it. And they're not being, you know, they're independent. They're not being exploited. That's that's, not what he's referring to.
1: Right, right. What he's referring to is the exploitation of the pimp or of the video maker in in porn or sex workers with pimps or whatever. He's comparing the pimps and the exploitative producers and directors with Dana White and and Endeavor, with the promoters. And he yeah. almost has it right, but it gets lost in the telling. Yeah. but he, I mean, if,
2: if you're Dana White and you're hearing this, you're kind of wiping your brow and going like, God damn, I'm glad he got lost in the woods before he made a here." point.
1: Right? But he did. You know? He was well on his way to making the point if he hadn't tripped over his own stupid tongue. You know? I mean, he is often his own worst enemy.
2: Yeah, I. Yeah, they're, they're, you're not fixing a guy like this. They just—he's just. This is who he is now.
1: And he has a girlfriend now. Oh, that's not. Yeah, she's cute too. She sort of reminds me of Celine Dion. Tall, thin, got the long flowing hair, and wears. Dresses that looks like she's going to perform a solo in front of Vegas. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, uh, he's posted several pictures. He's clearly enamored of her. Anyways, (laughs) we must move on. We're going to get into UFC Vegas 66. But first, our weekly picks recap. Victor, again, for the third time in a month you came in first you have pulled yourself now if if the we were picking like entire cards you might have actually been able to pull out even with us or even slingshot into the lead but because we're only picking five or six fights at a time you're you're incrementally catching up but at one time you were 15 behind and right now you're only 10 behind so okay. that is a good thing now let me let me go back and Read our picks. Mookie picked Quarantillo, and then he picked Bryce Mitchell. Obviously, that one was wrong. He picked Aaron Till. That one was wrong. He picked Alex Morono. That was wrong. He did
2: Dang, pick. That was that was going great for him, though.
1: It really was. And you were talking about guys that didn't have abs. Alex Morono, perfect example. Um, He did pick Patty, but he did pick Uncle have, and we all know how that went. Now, Victor, you were first. I came in second. I picked Billy Quarantillo. I picked DDP, Diamond Riku Duplessis. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and I did pick Patty Pimlet, but my wrong picks were Bryce Mitchell, Alex Morono, and Uncle Iev. Now, Victor, you went for one and one.
2: And you I picked... wanted to pick Fernandez. I, I'm sorry, I wanted, I wanted to pick Quarantillo. Yeah. I really did. And I, I didn't.
1: I know. But you did pick Ilya Taporia. And boy. <laughs> boy ilia tapuria you are on my radar young man i have you pegged for a future champ
2: future title challenger at minimum
1: at minimum victor also picked diamond Dricu Duplessi, duplessis and i i dubbed him that myself i don't care if you like it or not he's ddp that means he has to have the diamond in his name all right That's you right. did pick Ponzanibio. wow mm-hmm. what a turn of luck for Ponzanibio! great win great win because he was getting his ass handed to him but that sequence at the end and i had no problem with the stoppage whatsoever big was...
2: big, big big respect like that's a good loss for morona
1: yes and
2: like he lost it's a heartbreaker but like hopefully management sees that and says no this guy needs a bump up like yeah. he needs to keep fighting like big dude you know b- bigger names than when he's been because this guy is a, he's a, a true uh you know it, it's it was it was almost a breakout mode in yeah. a way
1: yeah. Uh you did get Patty right. And you were close. With, you were close with Blahovich too. You were very yeah. close.
2: I mean, I was kind of giving Uncle Iev the last at least last I
1: had time. listen, I get I did have it 48-47 for Unkalaev, but yeah. that first round being the swing round, a lot of people had it for Blahovich and that would have given him the win. So I have not gone back and watched that particular fight a second time. I have not. And I don't know if I want to, because I'm afraid I'm going to find out that Uncle I have won again. And I really wanted Blahovich to win.
2: I really you know do. What, I'll tell you what, and I'm going to shift it back to the Patty thing. Uh, you better, you better, like, he, he's got work to do. If people keep calling him a prospect. He's been fighting for 10 years. Yeah, He's 28 years old. He has not changed a lot of what he does. He swings wildly, like from way far outside of his body. Chin does, in the he air. Does not, he does not keep his right hand up. Jared yep. Gordon kept finding a home for that left hand often and early. He's talking, he was talking all that shit with Teporia at the presser. Man, listen,
1: <laughs> Patty
2: was the face of this pay-per-view. He was talk more about than Blahovich, more so than Ankalaev. He was the face of all these embeddeds. He was on at least three or four of the thumbnails. He was the focus of so much of this. He had his own house in Vegas that he was, I guess, renting out for the week. And yet, and yet, he's going to be a cliff by Taporia. This man's shelf life is not good. And he's got a lot of work to do. I don't think he's going to be able to do it in short order. He keep, they keep talking about this guy like he's, you know, Raul Rosas, who's, who's just turned 18. He's not. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, this is why I kept picking against him at first. I'm like, he's going to run into uh, an obstacle. He's not going to be able to jump over. And he barely scraped by this one. He did not deserve that decision. Much respect to Jared Gordon. They're not going to overturn it, but I also hope that management looks at him and says, yeah, this kid. You know, treat him as, 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 as someone that won a fight because, you know, Holy shit.
1: But they're not because Dana went right out in the post fight presser and said that Jared had a lame brain, stupid ass idea to coast in the third round. However, he completely ignored the fact that in the post fight interview, Patty Pimlet stood right there and told yeah. Joseph Rogan that I coasted the third round because I knew I'd won the first two. Uh, you know what? Gonna... Pardon me for yeah. saying this, but fuck you, Dana White.
2: You're not going to let a pussy little thing like reality get in the way. Come yeah. on.
1: Yeah. I mean, oh. it really bothered me. But I will say this. I don't have tons of nice things to say about Rogan lately because he's changed so much from when I used to regularly interview him all the time. Yeah. But I will give him credit where it's due. He did some things that were on the money. First, when they announced the decision and he rolled his eyes all the way back into his head, I thought his eyes had wheels on them. It was perfect. The other thing he did during the fight, he gave Jared Gordon his due. He talked about Patty's chin being way up in the air, how his right hand was way low to the ground. How he, how Jared Gordon was just constantly, constantly nailing him with that left, how Patty had a lot of work to do. I mean, Rogan was endless with the criticism and I liked it because it was well-placed criticism. And I liked hearing it because the other ones clearly had a job to do and were more like, uh, Pat, look at Patty doing this and look at Patty doing that. And Rogan's like, yeah, look at Patty yeah. doing what? What the fuck are you seeing?
2: Yeah, there's two guys in that cage, buddy. Let's let's focus on that.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I feel like he is uh, deserving of... Some kind of credit for those two things. Now, uh, Dominic Cruz gets some credit as well for sitting right there in the booth and telling Patty to his face. You know, you don't think that these things, that the amount of control, this, that, and the other, that, you know, the the judges might have seen it a different way. And, you know, I just, there's a lot of people out there that are dragging Patty. And rightly so, because boy, oh boy. He's got a lot of work to do. A lot yeah. of work to do. But of course, Chael Sonnen out there. The voice of dissent. Crossing the line in the sand. Absolutely just dragging his tail across it and squir- scribbling out the line in the sand. And says that Patty is great. Yikes. Stop it, chill Sonnen.
2: Okay. At once. All right.
1: So, our standings. Mookie is still in the lead, but now only by three. He is 133, 84, and four. I am behind him, 130, 87, and four. Victor, you're catching up fast. 120, 97, and four.
2: Catching up to what? It's over as of this week, basically. What are we doing here?
1: Pick everything different.
2: Oh, stop.
1: (laughs) All right, so... UFC Vegas 66 is a pretty damn good card. Yes. I picked six fights for us. One of them is from way down on the card. And I don't know why Manel Kopp and David Dvorak is so far down the card. Mm -hmm. When we have, uh, let's see here, Cody Brundage and Mikhail Alexiuchuk. Sitting up. Yeah. There? yeah. It's,
2: it's hourly numbers. It's all, it's all of this is hourly numbers because again, you know, it's, you're throwing ESPN a bone, you know, they don't want to, it's, it's already going to be, um, they, they don't want to, they don't want to load everything into the top, you know, uh, four or five bouts. So that's kind of what they'll do.
1: But they should have swapped those two out. At the very least, you could have made this, the feature prelim.
2: It, it could it could have been. I mean, this this does have further ramifications at flyweight than than some of the other bouts that are here. It's, but you know, yeah,
1: yep. So once again, you know, uh, the the lower ranked, I mean, not the lower rank, the lower weight class fighters seem to languish a little bit on the prelims. But okay. Anyways, let's get into this. Kopp versus David Divoriak. What? An uh, absolutely astounding fight! I can't wait for it to happen. I am taking Manel Cop. I think that he his aggression and his striking are going to get it done. Uh, Mookie is also taking Manel Cop, and I have a good idea that Victor is too because he's a big fan.
2: I am a big fan, and I am going to pick him because Dvorak, for all of his strengths, I mean, you know, if he's going to come in with the wrestle boxer mentality which is usually how his style goes. I mean, he's going to have to eat some leg kicks. He's going to struggle getting shucked off and resetting. Um, he's not, his chain wrestling isn't quite there. And that's really where you'd probably want to get a dude like Manel, who's improved in his defense. So, nope, I'm going to go with Manel, baby. and goal number
1: one. Let's go. All right. Next up, another firefight. Good God, I love this one so much. Drew Dober versus Bobby Green. Now, Mookie is going with Bobby Green, but I am not. I am going to go with Drew Dober. And the reason why is because Dober has a one-hitter-quitter. And while Bobby Green is notorious for having a chin of granite, at some point, those things start deteriorating. The particles start flying off into the air. Think of, of the mummy in that scene in The Mummy when he's in the sand and the big face is coming and all the sand starts blowing away into the wind. That's what I'm thinking about with Bobby Green's skill set. Now, I do think that he is still capable of getting this done. I just feel like Drew might have a better chance is all. It's a very close very, very close contest but I am taking Dober Mookie is taking Green and I have a feeling Victor will too.
2: You look at the last two performances that Dober's had, and you would understand that this man has been doing something has changed for him, mm-hmm. that he's been taking on guys like, like Rafael Alves and, and and Terrence McKinney and finishing them violently. Mm-hmm. The way that he put Alexander Hernandez away, the way he put Nazrat Hakkarast away. Buddy, let me tell you, this guy has turned a corner in such a significant manner that it seems to me like it's not the sands of time being blown away. This is the thattle snap. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he's gonna be putting on people, and and Bobby Green is a good stiff test uh, for him in terms of you know a lot of the veteran bullshit that he's able to do. a lot of his ability to roll with the punches and uh, maintain fights at a certain distance. I don't know how much of that he's gonna be able to do against él, but I love watching Bobby fight. I got a lot of respect for him too. I, I, it was nice to see him have a bit of a feel good story, and he when he took a bite at the apple there against Makachev and whatnot. But I hey, this. This is a different challenge, man. I don't see him passing it. I'm going to go with Anthony Goodell.
1: All right. All right. So next up, Alex Caceres versus Julian Rosa. This is a good fight. It's not a ranked fight. If it is, it might be at the very, very bottom. But I think they're right outside the rankings. But it's still a very good fight. It's going to be action-packed. But I got to take Julian Rosa here. I just think that he has, to quote Victor, turned a corner in the past year and a half, two years. And, you know, how many times is this? This is like his third stint in the UFC, right? Uh, It's at least his second. Yeah, it's either second or third, but he's really come a long way. And he is tough as nails, tough as old shoe leather. And I just don't know if Alex Caceres is going to be able to overcome this ferocious beast that is beating down everybody's door right now i don't know i just i got a feeling juliana rosa takes it mookie is also taking juliana rosa
2: yeah i mean i guess i'm gonna have to go with him too because alex he's really good at snatching victory from the jaws of defeat but i kind of think that this dude runs a different pace. Yeah. you know i i don't i i don't i I, I'd love to give him more of a chance. I, I mean, he can still win it, but uh, it's not looking too great. So I'm just going to go with my gut here.
1: All right. Next up at 125 pounds. <sighs> this is such a good fight. Alessandro Costa versus Amir Albazi. Now, while this is a good fight, I feel that Amir Albazi is a step above and beyond Alessandro Costa. Now, I could be mistaken, and I frequently am. But I can't pick against Amir Al-Bazi, and Mookie is also taking him. Victor?
2: My thing is that Casa's grappling is much more multi-directional. it's a, it's a bit more varied. It's a bit more complete, whereas Albazi is striking at a different layer. And I feel like that's probably going to take him places that uh, perhaps Casa and and look, Casa has has turned in some extraordinary work. Both of these guys have had some sensational finishes outside of the UFC and uh, against not bad opposition, I should note. You know, they've been fighting some pretty tough dudes for the majority of their careers, but um, nice. yeesh. I, I, I want to go with Casa. and I know it sounds like I'm hedging my bets when I say this stuff, but I'm not. It's like this is this is a really tough one to really to, to, to pick based on the strength that they both have and, and based on their resumes and their strength of schedule. I think Albazi probably has enough to gut it out Although this is one of those things where if they fought each other five times, like maybe Kosta comes out on top. But I think Albazi probably has um, the requisite defense to to handle what Costa brings. And that's probably going to give him an edge. All
1: right. So you're taking Albazi, correct? Al-Bazi, yeah. All right. Al-Bazi. Next up, get to the co main event Armin Sarukian taking on Demiris Magulov. Another good fight. But I got to go Armin Saruki and, and I believe Mookie as well. I just think he's a lot more dynamic and a, and he's an opportunist. A little bit more so than Demiroz Magulov. I th- I feel like Demiroz Magulov is perfectly fine letting things come to him. And I don't know if that's going to work here. I don't know if you want to just let this come to you. I think you might want to take it to him a little. And I don't know if he's going to do that. Uh, how, how do you see this?
2: Is Mongol reminds me a bit of Gleison Tebow. Yeah, you know he's just like it's hard to look good against him. Yeah, he's going to control. He's going to like obviously they don't fight the same way, but I'm just saying oh. like they have a penchant for that sort of thing. Um, and Sarukian is somebody who's got, you know, if if you're just going to be a lot more passive, he's going to be able to dish out that volume. Mm. He's going to be able to work his wrestling as well. Um, he he doesn't have too many gaps in his in his game and. He's still evolving. He's still getting better. He's still looking good. And when your only losses in the UFC up until now have been against the current champ in Makachev and a potential future contender in Yamrod, uh, you know, and that was a tight, very, mm-hmm. very, very yeah. close fight. Those are your only UFC losses? Uh, buddy, that's a good-looking list right there. This guy's been, This guy's been putting in that work, and he doesn't have too many finishes, but you don't need to have a whole slew of them in order to be... Uh, a legit tough dude. And this man is very tough indeed. He's got, again, he's got the advantages with the striking and he's able to piece his game together more seamlessly than his my does in certain aspects of of the game. Right. When it comes from, um, striking to grappling, as opposed to grappling to striking, which you know glove is more like, you know get the clinch and start working things off the break. So works a little differently. And I kind of think that that's, that's probably going to be more, more of a, more of what the, um, Judges prioritize when it comes to scoring.
1: All right, so you're taking Saruki in as well. I am. All right. Now we get to the main event: Jerry Cannoneer versus Sean Strickland. And boy, I feel like Cannoneer is just gonna snap him like a twig, because Cannoneer has the wrestling, but he has them hands. And if one of them lands, I'm sorry, Sean Strickland's going to sleep. And I don't think that Sean Strickland is going to be able to do what he normally does against lesser opponents. He's not going to be able to go in there and win on the feet and just constantly with all that volume do anything because Cannoneer is not going to stand for it. And he doesn't hit like Robert Whitaker, you know, Strickland. I, I don't think that he has that kind of power. So no. he's not going to hurt Cannoneer early. He's not gonna drop him the way Robert Whitaker did. Nah, it's not gonna happen. I'm sorry. I I gotta take Cannonier here. I I don't see a legitimate way for Strickland to even win this. I'm not. I I guess it could happen, sure, but I I can't see it. When I whenever I picture this fight in my head, I just see Cannonier standing over his lifeless body.
2: I I he, okay. Strickland's gonna have to outbox him very soundly. And make sure that he keeps Cannoneer at the end of that jab for so much of the fight. And I don't know how long he can do that for. Because Cannonier, you know, like, you can fluster him and he's going to still keep trying. now Whitaker was able to uh, outwork him and then, you know, down the stretch really start to do more damage late. I don't know that Strickland's got that same kind of hustle. And he doesn't have the same kind of wrestling chops that would be a threat to Cannoneer either. So uh whatever game plan they're working on, man, it better be real tight because Cannonier plays for keeps and he is uh certainly I mean he's he's probably at like a solid gatekeeper status right now, but it's a dangerous kind of gatekeeper where he doesn't realize it yet. And so he's just like, I'm paying these bills and I am going to get this done. And uh I yeah, I don't I don't see Strickland getting it. I mean, he could, don't get me wrong. He'd have to fight real, real smart, and he can. He's capable of doing that, but for the prolonged period that would be required in this one, I don't really know that that's the case. And let's not forget, Cannonier doesn't get enough credit for fighting as smart as he does, too. This guy is not just pure physicality. This guy is capable of adding things and and being able to solve certain problems. It's just you know, he's just uh, unable to crack through the top three, and that is not a shame when the top three is that good at middleweight right now. So, uh, I got to go with Cannoneer here.
1: All right. And Mookie is going with Cannoneer as well. So that's going to wrap up our picks. Now, Victor, I have a gift for you. No way. I do. We started the conversation with Donald Trump's trading card NFTs. Oh, Christ. All right. I have come across this thread and this guy, he went and actually went into the fine print and basically broke down the grift for us. So I'm gonna read off to you the things that he found. Are you ready?
2: Okay, sure.
1: Number one, he thought it was a set of actual physically printed Trump cards for $99 for the set, but they're not, Mm -hmm. they are NFTs. It is $99 per card. And you do not get to pick your card. It's random. Now let me keep
2: Whoa, okay. It's random. Well, that's smart. All right. That's you can smart.
1: you can win prizes like a golf trip or a cocktail hour with Trump. But you have to pay all expenses to get there. And while there, it is black tie optional. Now, you are guaranteed a seat at a gala if you spent at least. on 45 digital cards. Donald will be in the same room as you, but not guaranteed to speak to you.
2: Wow. But
1: you have to pay all your travel expenses again to be in the same room as him. It is also (laughs) black tie optional, and there is no promise on where you get to sit. So you might be sitting on an overturned flower pot. You never know. Now, let me see here. You can resell your cards. You do not own the cards. You own limited rights that have certain restrictions. If you resell, the creator gets a 10% piece of the action. There are between one and 20 copies of every unique card. Okay, Um, that's
2: not that bad. last part is actually kind of nice. I like that. Good. Give the artist an opportunity. Even if it's shit art, like in principle, I have to defend.
1: This has nothing to do with his run for president. He licensed his brand to another grifter or possibly created a separate grift organization to protect the money from being taken from the Trump organization, which recently was found to have committed fraud.
2: Oh well. So well, anyways,
1: those are the fourteen facts that he found out when he investigated the fine print.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you might as well just fly down and go drive tomorrow a Like don't let anyone in. <laughs> We've seen this over the years. They will let anyone in tomorrow like, Why not? You you're better off rolling the dice and spending that money there. And then the other forty five or you know, we're at four thousand whatever dollars it is just you know, go to strip clubs nearby or whatever. Go see some of them sex workers that uh, Strickland was talking about. I mean, I don't know. Do something more fun with your money. But yeah, yeah I guess. I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, and again, I, I, you have enough simps, you can make it work. And I don't doubt that somebody out there is thirsty enough to make it happen. And this would be like the highlight of their life, to stand in the same room and breathe the same air as this guy and, you know, the, pick up a, an empty can of Diet Coke and be like, he drank from this and take it home like it's the holy fucking grail. I'm sure someone's going to be like, that's someone diluted in amazing fantasy of grandeur.
1: Also, in addition to my fuck you, Dana White, I'd also like to issue one last fuck you to D.C., for oh my God. for doing Henry Cavill so goddamn dirty. I hate you all. I hope you all go bankrupt and have fleas biting you while you sleep in your balls every single night for the rest of your
2: wow. life. Wow. 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 I thought you were talking about Cormier for a second. I'm like, okay, well no, what do you do? To- no,
1: DC <laughs> films they yeah. told Henry Cavill to announce that he was returning as Superman, which he did. He then cited that you know the scheduling for the filming of the movies was going to um conflict with the filming of the witcher so he decided after this upcoming season of the witcher the third season that he won't go back
2: right right. so
1: not only did i mean they just did him so wrong and they cost him another role and he was so kind and respectful and graceful and classy with the statement that he put out today on his instagram oh man this
2: dude listen you know i i know what it's like to be unemployed and be hard up for money he can sleep on my couch if that's what you're asking there you could have just said that at the beginning if
1: you said that if you actually did that all right, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and ask for my birthday and my Christmas present all at once. Can I come to you?
2: <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely.
1: I'll, yeah, I'll
2: absolutely, take, man, chill, yeah.
1: Yes, I will. Um, my husband might even want to come too because Henry's so pretty that all of us could probably, you know, just pass him around.
2: <laughs> I, I hey, that's even that'd be even way more awesome. Absolutely, I got cigars <laughs> for him. He'd let him come on over. I'd be happy to have him than Henry Cavill.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now that we have gone an entirely new path from MMA, (laughs) we are going to wrap up the show. Do me a favor. Follow this awesome guy on social media. I didn't
2: even name any porn stars. I should have.
1: (laughs) Please don't. The only one I truly know is Jenna Hayes. ah that's okay and she's like older than the hills so i mean and i only that's, know of her because okay. uh, michael chavello frequently mentions jenna hayes in his commentary of oh, course he would you oh know, he's so still... he's funny oh. though i like i like Mike. Oh. he's good good dude but anyways follow this guy on social media because he's awesome that's vic m rodriguez on twitter and Victor Sinister Rodriguez on Instagram, where he has a mouthwatering food porn feed that is just delightful. Wow. Now, you can follow Mookie on Twitter, at Mookie Alexander, and you can check his work out over at SB Nation's Field Goals website. Um, so, if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, get over there and visit with Mookie. Victor and I work for Bloody Elbows, so you can find our work there. The show at, uh, on Twitter is at Level Change Pod, and on Facebook, it's Facebook.com slash Podcast. If you listen to the pre-recorded outro, you can check out where you can listen to this show and all the rest of Bloody Elbows' amazing lineup. So check us out, leave us a comment, subscribe, do all that good shit, and until next time, please stay safe.
0: the Level Change Podcast. The MMA Vivis section, The 6th Round Post-Fight Show. 6th Round Retro. The MMA Depressed Us. Crookland's Corner. Exclusive Fighter Interviews. Show Money. Guest Podcasts. The Hey Not The Face Podcast. And Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow. Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com